Ciao ragazzi and welcome to another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio, told like it is. I am Frank Crivello and as you can see, Richard Carmen is not here. He was getting ready to make the big money move to go play for Monza and uh, Galliani detected uh, some uh, dental and some mouth problems a la Ali Sissoko several years ago. Uh, so the deal is off and Richard is actually on a plane back to the United States. He's in the chat, too. He's everywhere. He must have Wi-Fi on his plane. Uh, no, no, Richard had a procedure that uh, is uh, leaving him on the sidelines. We hope he is feeling better. Uh, so um, I'm at the controls. This thing could blow up, uh, especially with the two gentlemen that I have on. And uh, uh, as you can see, the uh, title of this broadcast, we're giving the Calcio Connection a little street cred tonight. Um Making his third appearance, uh, earning a hat trick of caps here on the Serie A sit down. He's the he is a writer for uh, the Laziali World Football Index uh, BTL video. Uh, previously wrote for Vavil. Uh, he is co-host of Calcio Connection. As I mentioned, uh, he is Jerry Mancini. Ciao, Jerry. Ciao, Tene. How are you? Oh, we're doing well, Jerry. How are you? A little uh, little technical difficulties with the mic. I had it on mute. Sorry. <laughs> Don't you have a podcast of your own where you figure this out? <laughs> already off to a flying start see we, we we need richard don't we evan morris is in the house uh checking in with us ciao if you are uh, in the chat or if you are watching uh please subscribe drop a like um also joining us for the uh for his second cap second cap in three weeks i think that is the shortest uh uh time span of uh caps earned uh but um he is uh uh, Miami New Times Best AM Radio Show two, 2018. He is the host of Man of the Match on Onside Radio. Jerry and I do uh, Serie A spots with him from time to time on that. He's also the Inter-Miami CF studio host, Calcio Connection podcast host. He is Alex Dono. Ciao, Alex. Ciao, Frank, and ciao, Jerry. Um, it's an honor, Frank, to be back in such a short span, but I know that uh, in light of uh, of a big game on Sunday, I, I know you had to bring me back for this one, so I'm happy. Well, I mean, this is a perfect opportunity to get you both on here. You both had big games this weekend, or your clubs did. I'm, I'm talking like you played. You didn't. Thank God oh, you I didn't. didn't. <laughs> you <don't remember? laughs> uh, Anthony Calcata, ciao. Good to have you. Um but uh, so perfect timing to get both of you guys on as uh, you guys are on a on a relative high, all things considered, um, with uh, both of you uh, on the winning side of some very important derbies uh, in Serie A. Uh, so we will talk about each of those here uh, today. Um, we will uh, we'll talk about the Lazio win over Roma. We'll talk about the Inter win over Juve. We'll also talk about the rest of match week 18. Jump into some transfers in, and of course, uh, the world's most popular hashtag game, Who Won Calcio Twitter. Uh, time to dig up who our uh, winner is going to be this week. We have a lot of nominees, as we always do. So, uh, gentlemen, let's get started by, and we'll do it in chronological order, obviously. So we will talk about the Derby della Capitale first, Lazio against Roma. Um, so this is Jerry's time to shine. Uh, well, let's get into the lineup first. It's a standard Simone and Sagi lineup, Jerry, and no surprises here to you. I would imagine Pepe Reina was in goal. It was a back three of Luis Felipe, Francesco Acerbi, Stefan Radu, 
Uh, Adam Marusic and Manuel Lazzari were on the wingback roles with Lucas uh, in his deep-lying role. Sergei Milinkovic-Savic and Luis Alberto joining him in midfield, and it was Felipe Caicedo and Chiro Immobile in attack. Uh, no surprises to you, I would imagine. No, not at all. And if anything, the only thing I would have maybe thought, maybe Stefan Radu sits out and a Cherby shifts over. And we have uh, we have um, Wesley Hu go in the middle. Uh, that's happened before this season where the three have played together. Um, that didn't work out. We we decided to go with uh, Stefan Radu, and he, he did a, a great job. A lot of people think that he's too old. He, he's not the same player at his age right now. But when this guy's in form, he, he can really step up, and he understands what the Derby's all about. So his leadership was was proven to be vital against Roma. And this is the worst performance, personally, I've ever seen from Roma in a Derby. I don't remember the last time that Roma didn't look as this bad. Like It, it was really bad by their side. And... Even today, we saw against Spezia, but I know that that four days later. But it just there's some concerning alarms there, like of what's going on with Roma and Fonseca is probably on the hot seat. You would you would imagine now, but with uh, their lineup, Caicedo, I know he didn't uh, score a goal for them, but the performance once again, he, he's proving to Inzaghi that he is quality of a starter more than just a bench player. I, I I believe he was hurt in the first half, but he he fought through it. My personal opinion is that Joaquin Correa wasn't 100% probably, even though he was available, and Inzaghi probably would have preferred not to use him like he did to avoid further injury. Maybe he was forced back more quickly than, than we know, and he went with Vidat Marici with 10 minutes remaining. That kind of tells you that, had he felt comfortable with Korea and being healthy, he would have came in. So, and it's encouraging to see Vadat Marici come in for ten minutes because of the slow progress that he, that has been this season with him, and it's been up and down. So, personally, for for Marici, he needs time, and it's a small sample size. And I, I've been heavily criticizing him, but to be open minded here. You can't just jump on a player in, in six games and say, "Hey, he's shit." Like it, it's just, it's just not right. Right. You need at least a season to to evaluate, and, and not just ten minutes off the bench. You need at least a good handful of games saying, hey, "Okay, this guy started five games in a row. This is what we have. Why isn't he performing at such a level?" So, but overall, great performance from Lazio, uh, and and hopefully this can be the turning point to their season where. We start to see more consistency, and the form stays where it is right now. And we're going to jump into that, um, you know, the overall performance. Alex, let's speak from a Roma perspective, because you and I talked about this when we talked about Inter and Roma, and we talked about a match where, you know, you know, two teams that prefer to play – you know, at least they have more success and chance creating on the counter, you know, than they do when they're locked into possession and keeping the ball. And I think, you know, I I went into this derby saying, and 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 you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up some old wounds for you, Alex, um, or some fresh wounds. Uh, Roma got awfully lucky against Inter, uh, and I think that Lazio is going to beat them. And it 
And once Lazio scored the two goals in the first 23 minutes, it was Chiro Immobile in the 14th minute, Luis Alberto in the 23rd minute. Um, that was full-on advantage Roma, Alex, because now they're put in a game where they're going to have to have more of the ball and they're going to have to create out of possession. And that just plays right into how Lazio wants to play. So, you know, talk a little bit about, and you saw this when they played Inter, you know, talk about why, what, what is it about Roma? Why are they, why is there such discomfort with having superiority in possession we we know the great things that they can do on the counter because when we had you on two weeks ago when we had the DraftKings, we touted hey build your lineups with myrl and, and mikatari and roma's going to counter the daylights out of crotone and that's exactly what happened well now here we are roma's put in an environment where they're going to have to have more of the ball to try to create their chances be, it, to, in order to get back in the game and it's a lazio team that's more than happy with letting them do that yeah, Fonseca, I thought just got it all wrong, and uh, it's so it's so bizarre watching Roma because we've seen some games and performances of brilliance out of them, and there are certain times when I watch them and I say their midfield, especially a guy like Veratu, can just boss right, and then there are other games where uh, they're completely asleep, and you're not getting anything from that regard. But no, I mean uh, it, it's crazy, and, and you go back to to the fresh wound you call it against Inter. I, I thought that that was. You know, the way that that game went down, I give Roma, you know, full credit for getting the goal they needed. You know, I think it was around the 86 minute when they got that equalizer like they had to earn it. Right. Inter was not going to give it to them the same way that when Inter played Napoli, they gave Napoli every chance to get the equalizing goal late. But Napoli couldn't take it from them. Roma did. Uh, but I, you know, the, I thought that that draw was really more about. Conte giving it to them on a silver platter and Inzaghi didn't because Frank you're absolutely right Lazio learned everything they needed to learn from the way that Inter matched up with Roma and they exploited them accordingly yeah Roma 61% possession in this game from Roma and just one shot on target you know tells you the issues uh you know and when you're trotting out a team of you know, Lorenzo Pellegrini, even, you know, Henrik Mkhitaryan uh, and Aiden Dzeko in attack. And you've got Veratu behind him. You've got, you know, capable wingbacks with Karsdorp and, and Spinazzola. You should get more out of this team. Um, you know, so it was it was a disastrous performance from Roma. Uh, it was an excellent performance from Lazio. Um, they get a third goal again, and it's Luis Alberto. It's one of my goals of the week, uh, the way he put it away, Jerry. Um, you know, we always seem to, we had the season, uh, of, of, of 2018, 2019, where Luis Alberto just massively disappointed. And then he comes back, has an excellent season in 2019, 2020. And then he has fits and spurts, shall we say, at least in the league. And we're always saying, oh, here we go again. You know, it's almost as if, and, and I know that Chiro Immobile scores a lot of the goals but it's almost as if as Luis Alberto goes so goes Lazio I mean how far I mean if, if I'm off tell me I'm off you're the Lazio guy um but I think he's so important to this team not just in scoring goals but in the role that he plays in that 3-5-2 you got you know Leva's got a role where you never ever see him enter the, the other team's final third almost never um Milinkovic Savic is box to box and he's going to even venture into the penalty area in certain situations Luis Alberto not necessarily asked to drop in and be compact with everybody they want him to be the first guy out so now when Lazio win the ball and they counter 
the first the, the, the first guy they can play to is Luis Alberto. They don't have to go directly up top to a Caicedo or an Immobile, and that causes huge problems for center backs that are trying to figure out, well, now, you know, do we – do we chase the ball here with going to Alberto or do we stay with these two forwards? I think the way Simone Inzaghi gets this set up and when Luis Alberto is in his form and in that role, they're damn dangerous. Luis Alberto, am I wrong in saying there's a correlation with as he goes, so goes Lazio? I 100% agree with you. And I'm going to go back to last season when they played against Brescia and it was the first game of uh, the 2020 season. Sorry, the 2020 year. And, um, they needed to win in the extra time. And I, and if I recall, Alberto was missing in that game. They didn't have him available. And they struggled to advance into the final third. And that was against a Brescia side that many know that they're very weak. They don't have that. They don't have much to offer. They shouldn't cause any trouble. But without Alberto, there's no, there's no flow in attack. There's no advancing the ball upfield. I know Sergey Malinkovic-Savage can can do a lot on the offensive side and the defensive side, but like you said, where he struggles is trying to get that that ball to the final third. He's very effective in his long passes, as he showed in the first goal when he uh, when he I think it was the first or the second goal, but he hit La Lazzari on the right side yeah. with a beautiful long ball, and that's where he's very effective. Or in the in Vice versa, he's the guy receiving the pass because his touch is really good. Now, a guy like Alberto, like you said, is irreplaceable. And today he he picked up an injury. He had a surgery, and uh, he'll be out for the next three games. So that's going to be a big loss for Lazio. But in regards to this game, he he was dynamite. It, it, it starts from him from the back, and he's fifth in key passes in Serie A. Let's just – and his, I was comparing his numbers to last year, Fifth, wow. and they're, they're very, very similar. So I don't think it's Luis Alberto that's basically the issue this year. I think it's the, it's the, the forwards or the players not scoring when the chances are there. And I, if I recall in this game, Immobile had a beautiful pass down the left side from Alberto and didn't beat uh, Paulo Lopez. So there's been chances throughout the whole season where – it hasn't transpired to what it should be. Now, on the flip side, he's got six goals. And who would have thought that Alberto would be scoring six goals this year? And five of those have come in the last six games. So, for me, this is a guy who can do it on both ends. If he's not assisting, he's scoring. If he's not scoring, it's something that he's even building up the, the, the play. And then to, to go back on the third goal, what was so impressive about that goal was 22 passes mm-hmm. involved 11 players. Like that, sorry, 22 straight passes, which involved 11 players in the sequence. That's, that's, I didn't know that until I saw the actual the clip the next day, and that was insane. Like, wow. I don't think anybody would have thought that while watching the game because I personally didn't. But yes, you're right. I, I'm, I'm curious to see how they do now in the, uh, the, the, in the short term as to how they deal without Luis Alberto, it's not going to be easy, but Andreas Pereira has to step up now. Yep. That's. Do you see, is Lazio by design without Luis Alberto, do you expect him to be a team that plays more direct um, now without 
that presence of Luis Alberto or did they bring Andres Pereira to come in and, and be the plug-in guy uh, that, that fills that role with Luis Alberto out of the picture? Has to be Pereira. That's okay. why he was brought here. He, like He's being used as a false nine at times up front because there was one game this earlier this season where Alberto and Pereira played it kind of similar together and it didn't work out. They just, Maybe because it's really short term and they still haven't played enough to understand each other, but this is why you brought him in in the first place. Alberto's never had that quality backup, and I think a guy like Andres Pereira, where he has shown signs of brilliance and has the capability of being a creative player and scoring, now needs to step up. And he, I know that there's been not any hostility within the actual change room or in the in the office, but. He's wanted to have increased playing time. I don't blame him. Now is your opportunity. You're going to be playing in the Copa Italia. You're going to be playing against the Suolo, most likely against Atalanta. I don't think that Inzaghi is going to elect to start uh, Savage with Akpa Akpro and uh, Leva in in the center field. It doesn't make sense because they're kind of like similar players. You need a guy like Pereira who's more creative, more dynamic, uh, more has that intensity, can bring the ball upfield, and that's where he has to come in now. This is why he was originally brought in, and we'll see how he does. Alex, at what point, uh, you know, and Roma's a mess, and today in, in Coppa Italia, they they once again jammed in Brian Cristante at center back, and we had this conversation, and I went back and forth with Nima on Twitter, and I said, you know, Roma has developed some good youth players, you know, over the last few years, haven't they? they got a decent youth academy. How the hell do they not have a center back that they can plug and play in a Coppa Italia match versus trying to jam in Cristante and watch it fail again? And, and it's a product of, you know, it's a product of a manager having an ego and being stubborn and maybe not trusting, which is strange because he's using some other guys in, in Europa League games. Um the the name escapes me. There was a midfielder who scored in one of the games, and then the uh, the the left uh, wing back uh, as well. Uh, Calafiori is the left wing back, you know, who's turned up a couple of times and has been decent. So, what you know, what are what what do you see as the issues with Roma? I mean, you just you got you got to watch them for ninety minutes yeah. against the Inter. They had their struggles in that game. You 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 know, uh, you know, and then with this derby, I mean, is are they just starting to lose their you, – do you see them not playing for Fonseca at this point? Do you see – you know, because when I look at this – when I look at the lineup that they trot out, they should be far better than this. Yeah, I, I, I it's got to be some of that. It's got to be not playing for the manager because really so, so much of what I praised Fonseca for last season and in the early part of this season was tactical flexibility – you know, he he really was a manager that I thought adapted well to his personnel. When you think about all all the injuries Roma had last year, all the issues every team has had this year with COVID and injuries, it's been really tough. And and I thought a strength of his was you know adapting the squad and even adapting the formation. I mean, how much was he praised last year for switching to a back three late in the season and they went on a, a tremendous run to end the season? Yeah. I, I think maybe a lot of the players on that team have kind of turned the page on Fonseca. Um, obviously, the squad is certainly not perfect, and they're thin. Um, I think that him using a guy like Cristante at center back probably has a lot more to do with stubbornness than anything else. Uh, I also think they need uh, injection at the striker position because as much as I love Edin Dzeko, unfortunately, he just doesn't have his fastball consistently. I mean, I thought that 
you know, going back uh, to the matchup against Inter, I, I can't ever remember seeing Ed and Jekko that quiet in a game against Inter. I, I was I was a little bit shocked by that. I, I think that he just at his age has uh, has really lost a step at this point. So certainly the squad needs improving. And unfortunately, um, you know, it, it, it's been really, really hard for clubs to add quality players in, in this transfer window. I certainly yeah. praise Milan for getting creative and, and adding some important low-cost reinforcements. And a guy like Mario Mandzukic, you know, at, uh, at being able to add him for nothing is, is a solid, solid move. Uh, but a lot of other, you know, clubs are, are struggling to make deals like that. And, and it's, you know, really something Roma could use because that squad needs a spark, especially in the goal-scoring department. You know, you, you, Jekyll losing his fast that's the fastball. It's probably the best way to put it about him. You know, I mean, when he, you know, the first couple seasons here, and especially under Spalletti, he was probably he was one of the most feared strikers in the league. Um, you know, and, and in a league where age has been age is still good to many players, and it, for whatever reason, it's not treating him well. Um, so, you know, I, it, it, has he gotten predictable? Um, I think that there's a lot to do with that. I think that, you know, when you get to that age, when you're in, in this league long enough and you lose your athleticism and you don't have enough creative guys around you, um, you know, they figure you're figured out pretty quickly. Um, you know, and then on the other, on the other hand with Fonseca, yeah, there's a stubbornness here to managers now. I mean, and it just like managers just get in their own way. It's the same thing with NFL coaches. They get, you know, they get in their own way and then they're in, you know, what happens? They just end up getting out of a job, you know? So, um, you know, case in point with his, was the guy in Philadelphia, you know, who felt like he had to completely rotate a bunch of people instead of just stick with the guys that were getting the job done. But you're kind of seeing this with Fonseca now. It's like, no, I don't want to bring up a youth team guy to play center back. I don't trust that. I'll just jam in Cristante and we'll take our chances. And it's, you know, these are the kind of decisions that cost managers in the long run. It's why Jim Paolo is such a struggle now. It's, you know, he was a four, he's a four, three, one, two guy, and that's what he wants to do. And he doesn't want to deviate from that and he won't change, you know, and the problem with four, three, one, two, I, I don't want to say it's stone age. It's a stone age formation, but everybody's figured it out, you know, and, you know, it's, it's, Okay, and if you play a four-three-three, you've got that central defender that's just or that cent the defensive central midfielder that's just going to sit and deal with the trequartista and channel him wherever he goes, and then you can deal with the two forwards. And then if you don't have any creativity from that midfield three, you're screwed. You're not going to score. And you know, so that's been figured out. And you better have fullbacks that want to bomb forward too. And uh, you know, in in Torino's case, they have a couple of them, uh, but it has not been. You, the, the success hadn't been sustained enough, you know? So it's just, you know, Fonseca better adapt. Um, you know, I'm almost to the point where he needs to just take the toy away from Jekyll and play Myrl more because at this point you're sitting in fourth. It's not totally lost yet. You know, Juve does have a game in hand on them. So does Atalanta and they can both easily jump Roma at this point, but it's, you know, they're going to get caught just trying to run out the same guys and everybody's going to be able to figure it out. And they're the one team that I have. This is why I had them outside the top seven when I did my predictions this year, after I, I changed it, I initially had Lazio, but then I, I switched it when um, I saw, no, I'm sorry. I had Lazio in the top six. I, I had Roma out of the top seven. I had Sassuolo in over them. So, um, you know, because I just thought things would get potentially get stale under Fonseca. Things would get stale with Jekyll up front, you know, and at this point they better look at, 
take a longer look at Myrl and see what they've got to see if he's going to be the long-term answer to Jekyll. And I would have start having him in some games. Jerry, what's that? Your point? Yeah. I just think that Roma shit. I'm going to be straight up. Oh, oh my God. I just think I'm going to leash. Alatsi Ali is saying that Roma is shit. What? No, no. I'm not saying this in a biased way. I just. Well, wonders never cease. We. I, I I actually have just started bantering Roma this past week because the ammo was there to start it. Like I don't like to banter on Twitter because I like to be a neutral and not be biased. But the, the, today and Friday was just enough ammo enough. Fonseca is going to get fired. It, it, at some point this season, he's going to get fired. And I will state it now. He is gone within a month. This guy has lost the ship. The guy made a six substitution today. How stupid can you be? Like not knowing how many substitutions you're being, like you're making, and, and you forfeit the game. That's imagine that was a league game today, and you have to forfeit a league game. It wouldn't be the mm. first time this year. Oh, that's what I'm saying. It'd be a second time. You know what? I agree with you with Borja Mar- 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 Mario Mar- 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 I can't pronounce his last name. I'm Mario. 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 Let me ask you, Gary, because I, I didn't get a chance. Uh, I, I heard, of course, about their catastrophe in Coppa Italia today against Spezia. I, I, I didn't get a chance to watch the game. Some Somebody was telling me that Mayoral missed a, a ton of chances. Is that right? Terrible. Now, I was talking to Joe from Forza Napoli podcast, and he said a good point to me because I was, like, ranting about him. He sucks. But he's like, he's like, hold on. It's one game. It's a bad game, but don't take it into big proportion it's just a small sample size you don't know if it's just one off what the future can hold you need to see more of him and he, like i've said before with Vidat mariki which he's right but from what i saw today it was a, a disaster he he missed so many chances that they had should it should never have gone to extra time but i i want to elaborate on frank what he said i i don't think jekyll's bad or has declined. It's just the way he's being used is not benefiting him. If you're going to use this guy every game, 90 minutes, and bring on Borja, one minute, one minute left against Inter. Like, it's just ridiculous. You need to have your young players playing and having your, your much older players to rest. You're going to – you know that Ed and Jekyll is not young. It doesn't yeah. – him. So why not benefiting him in certain games and giving him that rest? But this has always been a Roma issue with no, the, the number nine position where they, they've used Jekyll to the point now where he no longer is a Ferrari. The guy's a freaking Pontiac. So <laughs> it's gone to that point. So it, it's it's frustrating. I, I just don't think that Roma is good. I had them projected, what, eighth, I believe we, we did on our, uh, on our pod, Alex, and I rented. I I don't like Cristante at center back. You're right. I don't know why he's going at center back. He can't be Marco Parolo. Let's just say this because Marco Parolo is the only guy who who can play wing back, can play center back, can play se- midfield, and maybe one day he'll play, he'll take over uh, Immobile's uh, place for a game. But um, I I just Cristante. I've never liked him. For the last two, three seasons, I think he's slow, liability, just out of position. I, I don't like the way he plays the game. He was another uh, Gasparini fool's gold, another one of those guys, uh, the, the false bill of goods from Atalanta. I I actually I actually rate Cristante when he's playing the actual role he's supposed to play, which is in the midfield, which is in front of the back four. Okay, that's that's his role. That's his role. He's You say he's slow. 
you don't really have to be lightning fast to play that position. You know, you have to have good positional understanding, good awareness, get to spots early. Otherwise, you're going to have to show your speed and it's going to be embarrassing for you. Um, and that's that's a role that works for him. And, you know, when he's gotten, you know, he did it at Atalanta, he did it, he's done it for Roma. That's where it works. And then, I, you know, his time at Benfica as well. That's the, that's the role he should play. Um, but when you've got to put him in a back three, um, when he's going to be the last man and he's got to deal with pacier forwards. And today he didn't have the, uh, uh, you know, you know, uh, misfortune for him, uh, of dealing with, uh, Nzola. He had to deal with, uh, Galabinov, which is another problem for him because Cristante's not big. Okay. And Galabinov's a big target. Okay. So aerial battles, Galabinov's going to beat him every time. Uh, so no, he, he's a midfielder. He's a holding midfielder. That's what he is. You don't have to be fast to play that position. So, um, you just have to have positional sense. You just, like I said, you have to know where you should know where you're supposed to be and be there early. So you don't have to sprint. The last thing I'll, I'll touch upon where Lopez really screwed up on was not giving any assist to Ibanez. Wait, this is the, this is the last, this is, oh, you're talking about the Copa Italia game. Yeah. No, no. I'm talking about the Lazio versus Roma game. How oh. did this is the last thing you're going to touch on. Are we going to be spared? Are we going to be spared from any Chiro Immobile commentary, Jerry? Are you going to spare us? That, that name's not been uttered, Jerry. Like, can you believe yeah. we've done? We've only done. when I said that he only when he, when he said he scored. Game, no Chiro talk because it's it was more of a team effort. I don't I don't think that I agree. I agree. I don't. I can't praise Immobile. Yeah, okay, he scored the goal, but and I and I praise him on on Twitter because I love the guy. Like the guy is. He 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 reminds me of Kobe Bryant in NBA where he I love the way not the same probably like level of like eliteness but just the way he works hard and plays so hard and, and inspires me to watch the game more that's why I like about him but going back to my my main point lots of he just bossed that right side like bossed and yeah. took shredded Ibanez why would you not bring Spinazzola down help him give him assists Give him support. Every time he attacked that right side, Ibanez was screwed. It, yeah. it, a coach would understand, hey, hold on. Ibanez got burned once, not twice, not three times, four times. You guys make fun of Conte? No, man. Don't make fun of Conte when a coach like Fonseca doesn't even get it right. In the, it's right in front of his eyes. And like, I don't know if Conte is that bad, but Fonseca's bad. But Would, would Kambula have been better than Ibanez? I think so. I think he's quicker. Okay, I agree. I think he's quicker. I, I again, I'm no expert, guys. Like when it comes to stuff like that, but what I saw today with the Kumbula, he looked really good against Spezia. I, I didn't think he was that bad. I think he was one of the positives in that back end. And for me, I, I really, I, I, I agree with you. He should have uh, played or at least changed it up. I don't know how he played a whole ninety minutes. Personally, yeah. like. But with the mobile, yeah. You, you, if you want me to give some mobile banter, I, I can give some. But uh, <laughs> you know what? I, I think that he has a chance of winning Capo Canonete. That's it. I, you, I, think, you, think, you, you think he'll go back to back? I, he's got a long I, way to go. I think he can do it. I I, 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 I picked Lukaku. I'm sticking with Lukaku. Gotta get some more penalties, Jerry. Yeah, I, I, you, need... you know what? Immobile is hitting a lot of goals from open play. So he is. Oh, no question. But I'm saying to catch up, he needs more pens. Yep. Um, yep. You know what? He's got to get more penalties. 
All right. I wanted, I was going to give you the platform to talk about Immobile if you wanted to, but if you're going to, if you're not going to, I get to keep all my listeners. So it's a win for me. (laughs) So so thank you, Jerry. (laughs) Your tweets about Chiro Immobile are borderline uncomfortable to read, just to let you know. (laughs) (laughs) I get it from my own buddies. Don't worry. (laughs) I, I, I don't care. That's why, that's why I have fun. That's why I have fun with you when I retweet them. So, uh, anyway, all right. So, I, love, uh, I, love, I just want to say I, I love Vidal kissing the, the symbol of the UV badge. I love it. Yeah, that's love, a perfect segue. See, Power, you're just it. in time. We're going to talk about Derby d'Italia now. Um, Inter and Juve uh, went at it on Sunday. One of the one of the biggest rivalries uh, in Serie A in all of world football. Um, you know. It, Inter coming off of the the 2-2 draw against Roma, uh, you know, Juve coming in uh, with some fine form, had won three straight coming into the game. Um, let's uh, let's look at this, Alex, the lineup. Uh, and, you know, same thing with uh, Lazio's lineup. We weren't surprised by that lineup. We weren't surprised by this lineup either. Uh, Handanovic in goal, back three of Skriniar, De Vrij, Bastoni. Uh, Hakimi and Young were the wingbacks. Uh, midfield three of Barella, Brozovic, and Vidal with Lukaku and Lotaro Martinez up front. Now, um, let's address uh, C Powers' uh, <laughs> comment here. Uh, Vidal kissing uh, Chiellini's Juve badge. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, it's what, funny what because Frank, I don't, I don't often watch. You know, like the 10, 15 minutes. It might have even been sooner than that. It might have been twenty five minutes out from the match. I don't typically watch the build up for that long. And I'm sure that for people watching in different countries, maybe they show different parts of the buildup. But, um, you know, in, in the United States, we watch uh, these games mostly on ESPN Plus, And they did happen to have about a half hour of pregame coverage. And so since it was this big of a match, I had it tuned in very early. And I watched that unfold live. And it was strange because, you know, I saw obviously I know Arturo Vidal, you know, has the Juventus connections and, and he and Chiellini are, are close going back to his stint at Juve. And so, you know, I, I see them kind of embrace before the game, but then I, I see him like, my God, did, did he just kiss the badge? Like I, I had that real, like what the hell just happened there? Like that was my live reaction. And then I go on to Twitter and, and sure enough, I see uh, dozens and dozens of accounts retweeting that video. Everyone's outraged. It's like a pregame scandal. Um, let me say this, if he hadn't played well in the game, um, he may not have left that stadium alive. Like it was, it, it's that big of a thing. Like, thank God for him. He scored a goal inter one, uh, cause he was able to, to nip that scandal in the bud pretty quickly. If not for his performance and the team's performance, that could have gotten really, really ugly. Um, I, I did kind of think that, uh, you know, that people overblew it a little bit. You know, and uh, and and you know, obviously for for Vidal, it was it was good to see him what in, in just the twelfth minute striking with that header. Uh, I, I do want to add uh, a couple of things from the lead up into that game. I'm sure that uh, that any of the uh, Interisti in the chat will will kind of um, echo my sentiments on this. Was just a really really strange week leading up to the match. You I mean you had a lot of the typical Inter drama. Uh, it's not only preparing for a really important sink or swim type of game for the season, but, you know, all the the rumors and the reports about, you know, sooning financial troubles or are they trying to sell a small portion of the club or majority of the club? 
it got very distracting, Frank and, and Jerry, uh, and, and certainly Jerry knows this talking to me several times throughout the week that it was it, it was hard to even really focus on the fact that, hey, on, on Sunday, it's the Derby d'Italia, it's Inter Juventus, like a, you know, your mind is being pulled in a hundred different directions by the typical Inter drama. And then to add to all of the, the pre-match drama, then you have Arturo Vidal, who's up until Sunday been a disaster in an inter shirt has had more negative than positive contributions and and so that only added to it um you know before we go any further i'll, I'll comment on the lineup like you said very straightforward I, I know that the two spots that had some people a little bit concerned from an inter standpoint um ashley young his matchup with federico chiesa going in looked very alarming to me um you know young is the guy that conte goes with as the starter at left wing back for the bigger matches um, I, I do think that Matteo Darmian has probably earned a little bit more time, but Ashley Young is still the guy that Conte considers to be one of the best 11, the starting wing back. And then Arturo Vidal, certainly a concern heading into the match. Um, I kind of had a yeah. feeling going into it, though, that he would be extra motivated to go up against Juve. So I I wasn't terribly surprised if, if there'd be a chance that he'd play, play really well, it would be in this game. Uh, but if not Vidal, it, it would have been Gagliardini, and they ended up being better off with Vidal. Uh, unfortunately, you know, Stefano Sensi is going through some things, and I don't think Conte trusts him to go for you know, uh, from the start in a match that big. Uh, and, you know, Christian Eriksen, obviously Conte doesn't trust. So it really it really had to be Vidal in that game. So the starting 11, yeah, it was exactly what I expected. Uh, Jerry, and then C-Power in chat, uh, as a Juve fan, I'd, I'd love to hear your take on this. I was surprised by Juve coming out in 4-4-2, um, to be honest. I thought, you know, when you look at how Roma, Roma came out with, you know, the back three and, you know, and wing backs to try to defuse. And you're dealing with, Ashraf Hakimi, um, who is going to be in the Serie A sit-down squad that if you know it next week when Richard and I unveil that. Let's just get that out in the open. That's an easy one. Um, but it seems like Pirlo was fine with Chiellini getting into the uh, uh, no-holds-barred grudge match with Lukaku versus trying to maybe throw Demerol in that back three with Bonucci and Chiellini or maybe playing Danilo on the right side of a back three with Bonucci in the middle and Chiellini on the left who could help a young fullback like Frabota deal with what is what he's going to have to put up with with Hakimi coming down the flank and the rest of the defenders figure out how to pass off Lukaku I mean this is the dynamic that Hakimi brings to opponents and this is why he's so difficult to deal with um where I would I thought maybe Pirlo would have come out with a back three um, where Chiellini would have been able to play a couple of roles in that instance, uh, especially in a in an environment where I thought that Juve were going to probably have a little bit more of the ball than Inter was. Um, what were your thoughts on this lineup? I mean, it was it was Danilo on the right, Benucci, Chiellini, Frabotta on the left, uh, and then Bentancur and Rabio in the midfield. With it, you know, it, it looks like Ramsey's lined up on the left, Chiesa's lined up on the right, and then it was Cristiano and uh, Morata up front. This lineup surprised me. It just and it didn't feel right. What do you think? I I'm gonna be honest. I I think Pirlo has no idea what he's doing after watching this game. That's what I thought. Mm. He just I I saw four four two. Then I saw three five two, and, and it got to the point where the players just became not collected, but more individually, where everyone was just trying to be just do their own thing. Everyone was just fighting for the ball and just trying to run out field and not. That one, 
the nice one-touch pass. And there's just no identity where they know what they're doing. Uh, Kiesa should be burning Ashley Young. And I didn't see that. And a lot of the yeah. time, he didn't go up the wing. He went up the middle of the field. And turn over the ball right outside the box. Turn over the ball again and again and again. And it wasn't one of his best games, but he's been good this year. So I don't, I'm not going to... I'm not gonna crap on him, but Fabrota shouldn't have ever started. He he from the minute the game started, he just got really man. All the wing backs were injured. Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no choice. You don't have Quadrado. You don't have Alexandro. Um, like you said, though, do you 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 put Kilini on the left, and you try something with veteran. You maybe you go with Demerol in the middle, and you try to get that support down the left side where you can try to slow down Hakimi because Fabrota did not look good. And he got a taste of what it's like to play against some of the best. So that that's a big learning experience for him, but not in the not in the uh, the yeah I agree. Vidal did do a good job covering Kiza, but just and that's where I you know and that's where I'm going to that's where I'm going to agree with the chat here um, and, and and with what Colin said here um, and uh, you know. Vidal was very good providing cover uh, for Young, uh, you know, and and just kind of kind of sitting in that spot where, I mean, where did Chiesa beat Milan? All right, he beat him in those pockets inside of Teo. He didn't go around him. He he went inside. He went centrally. He got played in by uh, DiBala on the first one, and then on his other one, on, on the other one, he came in. So he that's what he wants to do. He wants to cut in, and. Vidal did an excellent job of cutting that. I'm 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 with Colin on his uh, on his comment there. Um, you know, so I think that Inter were better prepared and they were better set up to deal with him coming in. Where Milan were trying to, you know, Milan were trying to play their typical double pivot, but they had Calabria deputizing as a defensive center mid. They had Kessie being asked to cover far more ground than he normally did, and it was just you know, Milan did really well for what they had, but that was just going to be the one element they were going to have trouble stopping all game. Mm-hmm. And Juve knew it uh, and they took advantage. Um, we're here. Inter was much better set up when we talk about Chiesa, uh, you know, to be able to provide cover for young, uh, you know, and that's a role that Vidal played and, and, and yeah, I'm with Colin, he did an excellent job there. So, but go, go on, on your, on your comments about Juve. Uh, yeah. Just overall. And then another thing about Juve was Ronaldo. just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've been having like we've been talking about in our chat group today about Ronaldo, and I'm gonna be open here. I don't like him. I think he ruins Juventus rather than making them better, personally. And I know that they've won Scudettos with him. And you know what? Even prior to Ronaldo coming, they have won Scudettos without him. And the goal was to win a Champions League. And the problem is that. You got this superstar player who's supposed to make your team better, but the supporting cast around him is not the greatest. And now it's starting to age. And you're starting to see the 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 roster it's just it's it's just not good. I, I, I know it's it's yeah, I agree. It's it's too hurt, but not deep enough. But it's not even not deep enough. This is a team that spends millions and millions of dollars and shouldn't be any excuses. Now you knew that you're going to invest all this money into to Ronaldo, and now the the issues are starting to arise in this club where they no longer have that that identity where they were that elite team. The whole the whole thing it's just one and some. That's the problem here now. And 
as non-Lazio fans, this is great to see. After seeing nine straight Scudettos from Juventus, we want to see this kind of like crumbleness coming in now. Uh, it, it was only a matter of time before the leaks would start, like the cracks would start happening with having Ronaldo in your lineup. He he hurts them more than he helps them personally. Like the whole game, he didn't track back. He he just was complaining. His morale was so poor, and that doesn't help his team either. It's like they're playing ten versus eleven at the end of the day. So. Just so many issues, and that midfield got bossed around. Like, tell me one good midfield, one good midfielder on Sunday that came and competed, or, or even gave a challenge to Inter. I guarantee you, if uh, Galliardini was in the midfield, Inter was still would have bossed them around. Personally, like, I, I, that's how bad it got. Where it, it's, it's, it was just no, no game plan. That's the problem. There wasn't a plan, and as the game progressed. Conte just had his way with them. And then that's the, the difference between an experienced manager versus a non-experienced manager. So the, I, I'm pretty sure Pirlo will, will learn a lot from it, but good game all, all around from Inter, though. Like, there's, there was no flaws to their game, and that, made, that makes things even more difficult for Juventus as well. well yeah, and to pick up on that, Jerry, um, you know, uh, in, in that, that was the Inter's 18th Serie A match this season. In the first 17, they really hadn't had a complete performance for more than 45 minutes in any given match. It was, it was wild. I mean, it didn't matter, you know, whether they were playing Lazio or, or playing Crotone. You've never seen really more than one really good half per game, right? And so I, I was a little bit surprised that the, the first – 90 minute complete performance would be in a game against Juve. And um, I, I thought that the really uh, one of the things for Inter and, and yeah, I know that you, you can't break this down in a vacuum because it also, it's not only what Inter did well, it's also where Juve lacked that may have aided that. But um, I, I did think that the big difference in this particular game was for the first time all season, all three central midfielders had excellent games in the same night, right? Yeah. And the guy who's been the most consistent there, it's no secret, is Nicolo Barella, who put in arguably the best performance of his Inter career this past Sunday. So it's usually Barella is always on, uh, but then you can always count on Brozovic to have some off nights here and there. Arturo Vidal had had nothing but off nights leading up to this game, and yet all three of them had excellent matches because I thought Brozovic had a his best, best match of the season, uh, but his best match in an Inter shirt. Vidal, clearly the best match he'd ever had in an Inter shirt in that game. And when all three of them were really on, not misplacing any balls, not missing any assignments. And what, what really uh, surprised me, and I, I do certainly as much as I praise the performance for Inter, I know that it really wasn't Juventus's night because they, they just weren't competing the way that Inter was. I mean, uh, every, every contested ball, every 50-50 ball was won by Inter, most of them in that midfield. Um, you know, I... I really thought heading into the match because a lot of those, when you're winning all the 50-50 balls, you're tracking back, you're making tackles. Um, I know that these are all highly paid, very skilled professional footballers, but when you're winning every duel, uh, it usually comes down to effort and the effort being more there for one team and the other, and effort comes from mentality. Um, I, I really was not expecting Inter to have the better mentality in that game because it's usually not the case against Juventus. I mean, prior to Sunday, Inter hadn't beaten Juventus. There were a couple draws here and there, but hadn't actually beaten Juventus since December of 2016. And I look back at the two matchups that they had last season, and Inter were really 
played off the pitch in both of those, uh, especially uh, disappointing, I thought, was the the first matchup in October in, in San Siro last year. Because, uh, you know, you, you really thought a home game, and this was before the pandemic, so it was 80,000 at the Meazza. You really thought Inter would uh, would seize the opportunity there, but they really played poorly in that game. And I, you can't remember really the last solid performance against Juve. So a, a lot of it, uh, it, it really surprised me in a good way. <clears throat> I mean, a lot of excellent comments here from the chat. Arthur Morelli talking about four men on the left to deal with Hakimi, Barella, and Lukaku. Uh, and it was Ramsey, Rabio, Frabota, and Chiellini, and it's, a, and it's an atrocity. The Juve roster too hurt and not deep enough. I mean, well said. I mean, it's uh, you know not only not only Akimi, but Barella playing there and, and linking up, you know, Lukaku with with what he's doing. And now, and and again, it just looked like Chiellini man marked Lukaku, and then everybody else had to figure out the rest of them. Um, you know, and uh, it just it, it it didn't work. It didn't come around you know, the way they had hoped, you know, Chiesa was, was made to look predictable as we talked about. And then Ronaldo sofa score gave him a 7.1. And I don't know what game these people at sofa score watch no, because he had know. seven crosses. I mean, or, you know, he had one shot on target the whole game. Um, and I don't even remember the shot on target. I don't even think it gave Handanovic any trouble. That's the other thing. Oh. Um, you know, uh, it was, it was a game plan that I mean, this was in Antonio Conte, and this was the, I mean, this interperformance reminded me of Conte's 2016 Italy. That you know, when they beat Belgium, the game plan felt very similar. <laughs> like take things away from them, beat them going forward, counter going forward, and 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 get out of there with the win. Same thing when they beat Spain. Um, Arthur, thank you. Sofa score more like so fucking stupid. Am I right? But I'm <laughs> Arthur's going to be performing at the Improv on Friday. Two shows, uh, virtual only. <laughs> so don't worry about the two drink minimum. Um, but anyway, uh, so you know, and it's it's it, it, it just. I mean, this was a perfectly carried out game plan. And to your point, Alex, we we have joked about Inter many many times on this podcast, not just because Richard and I are Milanese, but because Pazzo Inter. You yeah. talk about it all the time. It never goes perfectly. Something always something always goes wrong, and then the whole thing falls apart. Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's you know so. I was so impressed with Inter in this game. And I even went to Twitter and I said, this is a league winning performance. If they can find this consistently, they're the team to beat in this league. And I'm saying this as the supporter of the team that's sitting at the top of the table right now. Um, you know, if, if they can find the consistency and that's going to be the big, big thing going forward because Inter is one of these teams that it becomes, it's it's a mentality thing. Now, uh, let's get to the goals. It was, you know, Juventus enjoying some possession, not really getting anything out of it. And then one of the first times forward for Inter, Barella with the cross. And then, of course, Arturo Vidal with the goal of all people. Arturo Vidal, who had been, I mean, Alex, I mean, let's let's talk about this. I mean, and then Uncle Sharma came in and all of a sudden you guys are an Arturo Vidal fan club. You guys wanted to run this guy out of Milan after what he did in the champions league. And now all of a sudden he's a hero. So uh, the former Juve man getting it done for your team. Talk about it. Alex. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, again, I'll reiterate. I, I, 
I kind of had uh, I kind of had an eerie feeling coming in that if if he was due for a big game, it would be this one because of you know because of his uh, his uh, former stint at Juventus. That this would be a game that would really motivate him. Um, close to a flawless performance, and you know he he couldn't last the full ninety. Uh, he he was subbed off for Gagliardini in the second half, which is not surprising because. Um, you know, Vidal, just w- whether it be his age or, or some of the injuries he's dealt with this season, just doesn't really have the fitness right now to go the full 90. But the performance he put in uh, w- was pretty unbelievable. Um, you know, we, we he all, had, yeah, you know, he had a he had a knock. Um, oh, he had a knock. That's what it was. Yeah, you're, right about that. you're right. You're right. You're right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, e- e- even so, even before he took the knock, he was looking tired, though. So I, I think that's why I, uh, I I forgot that he uh, he took a knock and was subbed off for that reason. But uh, quite frankly, uh, up until this point, you know, not not every performance has been horrible. You know, Jerry and I talk a lot about Vidal on the Calcio connection. He, he's had some decent showings against lower table clubs. But the performances that people remember when you talk about the Champions League games and the bigger matches, those tend to be where Vidal has had the disaster classes and he's been more of a liability than he's been a strength. And so we always joke about the fact that when when they signed him, that Conte kept saying, you know, we need this player because he adds experience. And yet the experience that he had added to that point were, you know, uh, mental breakdowns and, and cheap penalties given up. And so I, I just hope he can parlay this into something consistent. As far as the goal that he scored, um, you know, certainly you give credit to Vidal for the finish because he, he 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 hit it perfectly with his head. Uh, obviously, in the buildup, it was really all about Nicolo Barella. And and if you you go back and and you watch that goal and you see some of the the still shots that were taken right before the cross, this was an instance where uh, you know Barella was off on the right outside the box to cross at home, and you know Juve had everyone in the box because they were so focused in on. Lukaku and Hakimi was also, you know, r- right at the edge of the area at that point. So there were four Juventus bodies, you know, right together, clumped up between uh, between Lukaku and Hakimi. And that allowed Barella really his own avenue. And and he put the cross on perfectly for that header. And so that was a point where, you know, uh, the thing about the first half of that game, Frank, was uh, very thankful that Vidal was able to score that goal because, uh, I, I had a very uneasy feeling at halftime uh, because Lautaro Martinez missed two chances, one of which was basically a sitter, and the other was a golden opportunity. Yeah, uh, you, know, you you can really say that for as good Inter looked as a unit, uh, the one member of the starting eleven who I thought had a really poor performance was Lautaro Martinez. Yeah. I mean, some of his movement was okay, but um, you know when you have two golden chances like that, specifically the first one off that rebound from the Lukaku shot, mm-hmm. we have but net in front of you uh, to not put that away in a game that big. And really, it, it should have been, I say this conservatively, uh, it really could have been, maybe is the right word, 3-0 Inter at halftime with two golden chances. So at that point, you know, going into the locker room with a 1-0 lead, missing two golden chances, I felt very uneasy because I'm thinking those are chances that are going to come back to haunt Inter because I, I really thought Juventus was going to get something on the score sheet in that game. I really thought that those missed chances would come back to bite the Nerazzurri. Jerry, and, and it, the Vidal goal, pretty easy way to score against Juventus is to get into crossing situations and box overload and guess where that goal was in Benucci's blind side. You get runners over to Benucci's blind side, and if you can get across there, there's a pretty good chance you're coming away with a goal. Absolutely. Um, just not poor man coverage, however you want to look at it, but 
Vidal scoring the goal was was really nice, but I I give what Alex is saying. He's right with with Barella, the cross, the, the amount of time and space that he had to deliver a cross like that made it much easier for Vidal to to basically head the ball in. And the fact that he was left wide open in the box kind of like makes you think: How do you leave a guy such as him wide open? But it's it, these are things that we never used to see with Juventus either in past seasons where these kind of goals would be given up, that kind of space would be given up. So for me, it, it's just an overall poor performance from uh, from Juventus. And a side note I, wa- I want to touch on, do you think maybe that another thing that we're not seeing and a lot of people are not talking about, maybe there's some hostility inside the, the, the dressing room, which starts with Ronaldo and in past clubs that he's played with, specifically Real Madrid, he basically ran out Rafa Rafa Benitez when he wasn't happy with what how things were going, and you you wonder maybe that's starting to happen with Juventus where they're not winning. Champions League hasn't always been a success, and, and he's in his what third season now with Juventus and. The leaks are starting to come in, and maybe the poor performances are starting to come, and the morale is not there anymore, and it's it's trickling not just from him, and maybe the players are, are are just not happy because, like Alex said, the, the performances are forty five minutes, half an hour. So I know that this hasn't been mentioned in the media, but maybe it's behind closed doors. But like, remember last year when. He got subbed off by Maurizio Sarri, and he stormed off, and he went off like a little bitch, we're going to say, okay? That's what he is. That's exactly what he is. I'm sorry. Now, imagine – You know, let me cut in on that. I mean, Juventus players, you've seen that happen a lot. I mean, you even saw that happen a lot under Allegri. And I, for one, I don't necessarily have a problem with players behaving that way when they're being subbed off. I actually want players to be mad. And Allegri even uh, alluded to these comments. I, I, I hope they're mad. They, 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 they obviously want to be out there, you know, but I'm making a, I'm making a decision. I'm making a tactical decision. And, you know, in, the individual's ego is going to have to get bruised a little bit. Now, I mean, as far as the locker room, I'm not ready to say that, you know, as as bad as they were here against Inter, let's also remember Cuadrado wasn't there. And how much trouble is Ashley Young in if Cuadrado's out there? Oh, um, Alexandro is much more experienced. Um, some of the guys around CR7 are just not up to it. They've actually started discussing extension. Okay. But we're also talking about a team that just beat Milan 3-1. They just beat an up-and-coming Sassuolo 3-1. You know, I'm not ready um, – I'm not ready to go in. If I'm a Juve supporter, I'm not ready to go into four alarm panic mode over this match. I'm going to probably just say bad day, fuck it, and and get on to the next one. Um, I mean, that's just where I am with Juventus. If if your opinion's different, that's fine. But you know, for me, it's a it's a bad day. They didn't have Delict either, who was playing been playing a lot better. You know, so this was a shorthanded Juventus team, you know, coming into this game, playing against Inter's strongest side. And I think that that does get lost a little bit when people look at Ronaldo underperforming. And you're right. When those things happen, though, Jerry, you're right. Those questions are going to get asked, especially when they lose a big game like this, regardless of who they put out there. You put on those you put on those white and black stripes. You're expected to win regardless of who you are. Um, and um but in, in this case, when you, you kind of get to reality and you kind of what they just came off of, I don't think I'm 
going there yet with Juve as far as as far as panic mode. I think it's it's, it's, it's still to me um, to Frank's point. People forget there are still twenty match days left. I oh mean, yeah, you just I mean you, you look at uh, we we look at how many opinions people are formulating eighteen match days in. Now, listen, I I know that. Uh, you know, in, in certain inter circles, people are, are looking and saying, hey, look at this performance. Maybe now uh, Inter really are legitimate Scudetto favorites. But then I, I still look at Milan in great form on top of the table. And I'm not I'm not even writing off Juventus yet. I mean, I know that some people, even in the Italian media, are, are trying to say that that was, you know, a performance where you're going to look back and say, this is the day we lost the Scudetto. Uh, there's still so, so much time left over over 20 match days. And, and listen, I... Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see if Jerry's Lazio could even make a run during that time. Atalanta sure. could be poised for a run. I I, I see it differently, though, because at this time last season, Juventus had already turned it around before the midpoint. They have been known to start slow the first five, ten games, and they, they accelerate. This year, it hasn't been the case, and there's just been so many factors and out that's just derailing their season, and... I don't know if they're going to be able to to basically turn it around because every time there's a player that comes back, there's an injury or there's something wrong with this team. Or if it's not injuries, it's it's even when they do have players available, they don't look as good as what they're supposed to. Yeah, there's certain individual players, like you said, Delit has really looked good. Uh, I I haven't been sold on Quadrado. I think he's been a liability this year for a lot of games. I, I just. I think there's certain games where he's looked really good, certain games where he's just cost the team so many points. Um, just overall, it, it's it hasn't been a collective unit. So even if Juventus had extra players available, I, I, I don't know what kind of team you would have had Sunday still because they just haven't played 90 minutes, and that's kind of not Juventus t- to me. It, by now, they're already playing at, a, at such a high level where you're, you're more worried about Juventus than how do how do we contain them? How do we stop them? And that's not what we're seeing right now. We're seeing when's Juventus going to show up? And that's something that we don't normally often talk about. Where Hakimi has power and pace, Quadrado has incredible technique. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where, where Quadrado is an asset. You know he's not gonna is he he doesn't have Hakimi's natural talent, but he has unbelievable technique on the ball. His crossing, his passing, and some of the things that he does. His work rates through the roof too. You know when he plays. I'm a, I'm a I'm a Quadrado I'm a Quadrado fan. Um, and let's let's also not forget Juventus won their Champions League group um, over Barcelona. So. Yeah. You know, this is not a team that's down and out by any stretch of the imagination, and they've got a game in hand. And if they beat Napoli, there's every reason to believe that they're still in this thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, so that's that. That's the Juve. Let's set that aside. Let's come back to Inter and let's let's celebrate Inter for Alex here a little bit. <laughs> so, <laughs> one of the best assists you are going to see all season long from Alessandro Bastoni to play through uh, Nicola Barella on a classic counter, um, and and. Uh, and, and, and put it away, making it two goals to nil. My immediate tweet, my immediate tweets after this, Alex, were this game script now is perfectly in Inter's favor. That's one. Second one, if there is a third goal, Inter's going to get it. And I said, third, the only way this gets interesting is if Antonio Conte somehow wants to bring on Alexander Kolarov again. I had the same thought. 
<laughs> I had that very same thought. I, I was dreading that possibility. Um, and, and yeah, um, that it was a, an absolute sublime assist from, from Bastoni. And it's, you know, it, it's the sort of thing, I mean, obviously you don't necessarily expect the ball that beautiful from the young man, but you expect performances like that from Bastoni. I, I think where he's, he's really taken his game to another level this year. I mean, he got a lot of time in the starting 11 last season as well, even though he was contending with a guy like Diego Godin actually benched Diego Godin for much of the season. It wasn't really until near the very end post lockdown that Godin uh, had picked up really nice form and, and Conte was starting him a lot. Bastoni was the go-to guy for more than half of the year last year, but last season, you know, he would have, as you would expect, he was 20 for most of the year last year, would have some games where he would make a few mistakes and wasn't nearly as comfortable with the ball at his feet. Um, confidence is through the roof for the guy now. I mean, Bastoni is usually um, the most creative going forward. Um, you know, I also think that Scrinier is capable of doing some things going forward that the guy moves in slow motion compared to Bastoni, who's much more graceful uh, in his movements. And, and he's got vision. Um, I, you know, I know that uh, th there have been uh, certain people who are trying to, to debunk that pass that he made, thinking he was actually targeting Lukaku. Um, no, I mean, I, I think the vision that Bastoni has to see Barella making that run, uh, I've seen him display that sort of vision before, so it really didn't surprise me. And at, at the time when, when he placed that pass, Frank, in the first split second when Barella was on the receiving end of it, it, it took me about a second to realize who had the ball because at first I thought it was Lautaro who made the run. And honestly, not to pile on Lautaro, but in, in thinking it was Lautaro Martinez, I thought for sure he's putting this into the third row or he's putting it wide, right? And then only when the ball actually found the top corner did I realize must have been Barella. And that's that's what it was. I mean, just, uh, you know, because you could have easily spoiled that perfect pass by botching the finish. And, and Barella has... Uh, He's, he's really been a revelation this year. And so, you know, you look at kind of the perfect storm that really outside of Lautaro, everyone else played well, you know, I, from an inter standpoint, I, I did, uh, I actually enjoyed, you were talking about Chiellini earlier. I, I enjoyed watching the duel between Chiellini and, uh, and Lukaku. And I thought both did very well. I, I yeah. Chiellini, I thought was really, um, I thought he was the best of Juve's uh, players. I thought that he really put the most heart into that performance. I thought he had the best game of anyone in Juventus colors. And um, and he did a good job one-on-one -on -one against Lukaku, which is, you know, for, for someone like Chiellini who hasn't played a lot this year um, and is giving up a lot of size to Lukaku, I thought that was impressive. Moments and, you know, should have had an assist or two in this game if, if his strike partner could have put a couple. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought that the match between those two guys was a lot of fun. That was the, as a new as the neutral watching the game. Um, that was the match within the match that I just had a blast watching Jerry. Um, I mean, he doesn't get on the score sheet, but it just shows you what an influence Romelu Lukaku is in this inter team that arguably well not arguably he is juventus's best defender can't be concerned with anything else but man marking him he can't help Frobota. he can't support any of these other guys he's got to be around that's the influence lukaku didn't have to get on the score sheet to influence this game his presence basically took chiellini away from being able to do all of the other things that he would probably prefer to do in this game no absolutely and I think Alex and I talked touched on upon that. I think it was their Coppa Italia game against Fantina where 
Lukaku didn't start the game. I think he came off the bench, and uh, he, he when he wasn't in for, for more, almost what ninety minutes, they were they couldn't do anything. I know that Martinez had his chances again in that game as well and didn't finish it, which is becoming a consistent factor now. But um, without Lukaku in the lineup, I agree they they just look like a different team where. They're unable to hold the ball up, uh, create space, draw attention towards him where it opens up a spot, which you like you were saying, which leaves Frobota very vulnerable and at a disadvantage because no one can help him now to shift over. So Lukaku's been a he's probably been one of the best forwards this season, maybe the best forward. Uh, I would I would put my bias aside and say that he by by a bit he's been better than uh, Immobile because he he can do he can provide much more Lukaku or you can see the, his holdups much stronger than Immobile is uh his scoring is there it's it's the all-around game that's very impressive from him and to touch upon Barella he is if if anybody watching the show right now doesn't think that he's the best midfielder in Serie A this season then there's something wrong with you. I'm just going to go on, on on the state now because if this guy doesn't win the award, he's going to get robbed like Immobile got robbed last year when when uh, Dybala won MVP of the year. That's what's going to happen here. I'm still angry about that on your behalf. I, I, that's robbery. So I, <laughs> I, I as a open-minded person here and, and being fair, I, I would be so disappointed if Barella did not win the award because this is a guy where I didn't expect him to get at this level at such a young age, but he is hitting strides and uh, he's he, he's so impressive. Look what he's done where he, the, the pass, another thing is the pass from Bastone is not a fluke. It was never intended, I'm not sure, it wasn't intended for Lukaku. I'll tell you right now, with no fluke, where he's mm-hmm. it was intended for Barella. The space is there. It, you see the, the the direction of how the ball goes too. Um, it, it's a great read by Barella. He creates the space. It shouldn't be given that much space to even receive the ball. Great touch. He goes down the down the wing and he blasts it right by uh, Chesney. So for me, it's um. It's an impressive all-around goal, and to to touch upon what you're saying, Bastoni has really improved as a defender too. Yeah. Where I I had no idea who this guy was probably two seasons ago. I'll be honest, and now two years later, this guy had one full season last year, which I was saying earlier. You you need time to develop to see what you're able to do. You need to. City is, is a much diff, is a more difficult league compared to other leagues. It, it takes time to adjust. It takes time to adapt. It's very tactically yep. tactical, and you need to be really minded of how things happen. Um, and we're seeing that with Bastoni where you saw a little flaws last season under his game, but now he's adapted. He's understood the game much better, and look how much advance he is at his position where he's one of the best now, So, and he's got so many years ahead of him. So. And and you guys and you you crap on Conte, this guy here is creating some good players on on Inter. You got to give him credit, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I I know that there's a lot of Inter haters on him, but I am one who at the beginning didn't like him, but has grown on him because the goal has always been a scudetto. 
It's yeah. never been Champions League. So there shouldn't be any disappointment that they exited from the group stage. Yeah, maybe you would like to have been third. But that was no easy task at hand. All, all teams in that group were very good teams. And there should be no disappointment there. But now the goal is Serie A and winning a Scudetto. And they're in the same position like Lazio was last year. And the difference was that Lazio actually had some really good form where they were on a winning streak, the unbeaten streak, and then COVID hit them and stopped the league. Now Inter doesn't have that that barrier where it's going to stop the league. This is a big game right now. This is where it can become a win streak. It can start something for Inter going forward. They don't have to worry about Champions League midweek. They don't have – I, I get they're still in the Coppa Italia, but that shouldn't be a factor. It's one game, not two more, three more along the way and all that preparation. This is a team who has the depth that can rotate every week, come every midweek for Serie A to weekend. I just think that – now is the time, and and I truly believe that Inter is going to is going to win the Scudetto. I, I this the breathing room is there. There, what is, it's what seven points ahead of uh, Juventus, where or is it four for them? I I didn't look at the standings, but I, I think it's seven, not including obviously Juventus have a game in hand, so they can make up some of that. Yeah, it's Juventus on thirty three points, Inter on forty. Yeah, but uh, I. I will agree with you, Alex, on another point. And, and and Frank has touched on this. Looking at how the performance is with and without Gagliardini. I like Gagliardini. I get pooped on it a lot. I like his work ethic, okay? That's why I like him. He he provides something different on the midfield, which is like a blend. He I like the way he he tracks back. He helps the defense. He like I just said, his work ethic. Um, but we're looking at the performance against Juventus, Gagliardini should be coming off the bench. Maybe when they have the lead, try to close the game out because he's more of a defensive kind of player. Now, that that's how I see it. Um, the problem is, is that the, the the one weakness that Inter has and, and may just be a little concern is their midfield. And and I and and you guys probably look at me as if this is just a lot of depth in this midfield. But when you have Sensi, who can't stay healthy. And then you have Vidal, who can't stay healthy. It's showing now. And you're overusing Brozovic. And we know that the guy only has so much mileage in him. And it's only a matter of time before he starts to break down, because we saw that last year. And there's been times this season where he's been hurt. And then Barella has been overused how many minutes? And now you have to stay it's time that Erickson comes in and starts playing more regularly. If he doesn't step in, this midfield can kind of crumble. And I know that, like I said, there's depth, but there are also injury concerns that can hinder their season going forward. That's the only thing that concerns me overall. Yeah, I, I think uh, for that reason, I, I do think that Erickson is going to have a part to play in the second half of the year, whether Conte likes it or not. You know, I, I do see uh, – I, I can't guarantee his immediate future because you, you do see some stuff out of the U.K. about uh, about Tottenham wanting him back. And if it were to happen in January, it would probably be a loan. The problem with that is for as much as Conte may dislike Ericsson, I don't know if he would actually let him go unless he's confident Inter can secure a replacement. And I feel like they can. Now, maybe you could say – 
Matias Vecino coming back from injury. You might consider that like the eternal internal replacement. I don't know if Conte sees it that way. So, yeah, if I'm assuming Erickson is going to stay in January, he could actually have a part to play in some of the lesser important matches. Now, Conte did use the last Coppa Italia game to use Erickson uh, in more of a deeper midfield role. You know, that kind of being that link between the midfield and the two strikers. And by all accounts, uh, people were pretty happy with it. You know, it wasn't a colossal failure. I mean, it wasn't great, but it was it was serviceable. You know, so, I mean, if you he's there, it's kind of one of those, that, you know, he's going to be there if you need him. Um, you know, it's time will tell if it can have success in a Serie A game. So, um, you know, so we'll we'll see what happens. But, I, you know, I agree that the depth can be a concern if Sensi can ever come back fit. I mean, what a, what a player he was before the injuries, um, you know, so, you know, so we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, moving forward, I mean, Alex, you and I have been pretty staunch in our position about Juve are going to make this 10 in a row. Um, but after this match and considering where everybody is on the table, has your tune changed as an Inter supporter? Do you have more belief that Inter can win this Scudetto now after a performance like that? Or are you like me who, you know, um, that was great, but can you do it against a Bologna team without switching off? Can you do it against the Sassuolo who you always seem to have problems with? Um, you know, and can you do it in those games? Because that's, you know... <laughs> Believe it or not, that's where it actually kind of matters. You know, picking up those points before you re regroup and have to go and play at the J later on in the season, you still got to get all those other points. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. Uh, certainly, um, I, I I certainly have more confidence after this game because not only was it a very convincing performance, but it was a colossal three points because you're not only taking those for yourself and and keeping you know tighter with Milan, but you're also taking three points away from Juventus, which is going to be invaluable. So mm -hmm. I certainly feel more confident. It's just you, you kind of I kind of go from like a you know like a forty percent to a fifty percent is kind of where my confidence lies because. You, you hit the nail on the head that um, even though I know that Conte's M.O., and it's, I think, part of the reason why, you know, management, Marotta, up, up the food chain, were so anxious to bring him in, you know, before last season, was because he tends to be the guy that is more consistent in grinding out the results against the lower table side. You know, for example, when Luciano Spalletti, the previous manager, was at Inter, he did exceptionally well in the big games. You know, I, he, he didn't beat Juventus, but outside of that, did very well, you know, against the likes of uh, of the Milans and, and the Lazios and, and, and the Napolis even took some victories in tough games. Uh, but it was Spalletti's undoing, the reason why Inter were, you know, fighting for fourth place on the final match day in both of his seasons were they were dropping points to the Bolognas and the Genoas of the world just consistently. I just was, yeah. uh, it was, they really had trouble putting away those lower table sides. And so, yeah, I think uh, e even this year, I mean, you know, prior to prior to the victory against Juventus, two match two match days prior, they're you know falling two one to Sampdoria. So it's not like they're completely immune to that. That's the thing I want to see. Like, great, you just put in a dominant ninety minutes against Juventus, but what do you do against Udinese this week? Like, do you lose focus and drop points there? Um, I do think, as Jerry has touched on, uh, something that theoretically is going to make it a little bit easier uh, for Inter to to drop fewer points against lower table clubs is the fact that there is no European football to focus on. I mean, even, you know, the last couple of years, not making it through the champions league group stage, they did still have Europa league. That's not even on the table this year being fourth place in the group. So, 
there's there are no excuses like they're really not, I'm not going to say necessarily no excuses for the Scudetto because that's also going to depend on how Milan does if they if they don't drop any more points they control their own destiny yeah. uh, from an inter standpoint there's really there's really no excuse not to take care of your business in these games because you don't have Champions League or Europa League to think about right and I think that that's another prevailing advantage for Inter is once the once these European competitions resume they don't have that problem they they would like to have that problem but but they don't have that problem and that could probably help them jerry there's one last problem actually and this one we didn't talk about and it's inter's goalkeeping that's what scares me handanovic is uh, he he scares me he really does and he, he can not and, 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 and i can't believe we're here saying that about him when he has been so valuable to inter over the years yeah uh, it, it, it's father time for him yeah I think. Uh, it, 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 no one, no one can beat Father Time, you know. Nope. Except maybe uh, Zlatan. Every, everyone else goes down to Father Time. I I, I'm just, I'm a Milan supporter, and I marvel at the guy every week. I don't know yeah. how he's doing it. Who's their backup? Oh, I mean, oh, Inter's backup. Oh. Yeah, yeah, Andre Radu. Um, it, which okay, is, okay. It, it's almost like. I'm actually really, really surprised that Radu didn't play in Coppa Italia against Fiorentina. I, I would have thought that that would have been the time to use him. Like it's like yep. uh, Conte used Daniele Padelli, who was awful, more than he's using Radu. Like I, I really thought that that Coppa match would have been the time to give him some burn. So I, I don't know what's going on there. All right. Well, let's move on. Let's jump into the rest of these games. Um, believe it or not, teams other than yours played this weekend, guys. So. <laughs> Let's give them some attention. Um, <laughs> uh, it opened up uh, after the, uh, the the Rome derby was Friday. So Saturday it was uh, Bologna 1, Hellas Verona 0. Uh, and Orsolini penalty winning it uh, for the uh, Rosso Blue. And they outshoot Hellas Verona 20-8 to in this game. Uh, Torino in what would be Marco Giampaolo's last game, a 0-0 draw against 10-man Spezia, uh, despite pretty much having a 2-1 to edge in possession. Uh, could not find the back of the net against the promoted side. Uh, and they had 82 plus minutes to figure this out and they couldn't. So out goes uh, Marco Giampaolo. In comes Davide Nicola, um, you know, savior of teams like Crotone a few years back when they had that uh, famous escape. So let's see what he does with Torino here going forward. Sampdoria 2, Udinese 1. Uh, it was uh, Rodrigo De Paul. Uh, in the 55th minute, the object of Inter's affection, the object of Juve's affection, and many other clubs throughout Italy and Europe. Uh, and then it would be Sampdoria getting a penalty from Antonio Candreva in the 67th minute. And then uh, a great, what a guy that I think is a great get for Sampdoria, Ernesto Torregrossa, uh, scoring in the 81st, um, you know, to give Samp the win. I mean, this guy was, I mean, when 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 Brescia were relegated, it was just like, why isn't this guy going to another club? Um, so, uh, but nonetheless, here we are. He's he's now with Sampdoria. I think that this is a very good get. A guy that can, you know, can can step in, can partner Quagliarella, can do it on his own up front. So, really nice pickup under the radar. Uh, if you woke up early enough on a Sunday morning, you were in for a treat. Uh, Napoli absolutely. Just, I don't even want to. You know, uh, what what what's the description? What what do we say? I mean, I have I have the description for Alex. He wishes he can wake up at six o'clock in the morning to watch a game like that from his side. 
Yeah. <laughs> for, for a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, I, I think Inter have already had three of the 6.30 a.m. games. I woke up for the first two of them after that because they, they do nothing in the first half of those games. I'm, I'm sleeping till halftime, and that's what I did last time around. They just, Napoli massacred Fiorentina. That's the word I'm going to use just to try to keep things clean. 6-0, it was Lorenzo Insigne in the fifth minute, Diego Demi in the 38th, um, Herbing Lozano in the 30th, er, I mean, Demi in the 36th, Lozano in the 38th on another. I mean, if we didn't have the Bastoni assist, we'd be talking about uh, the Insigne assist a little bit more. Um, man, goal of the week candidate there just for that. Uh, Zielinski in the 45th, Insigne would get a penalty in the 72nd. Politano, he's just that guy that 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 shows up when the damage is already done and just inflicts more damage. He's never going to be that guy that in a nil-nil game ever decides a match. It's like after 5-0, okay, go ahead, yeah, get in there and get a goal. Get the whole like 7 nothing Yankees, he come on and hit a grand slam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty much what it was. Uh, if you ask Napoli fans, they would agree with me because the ones that I talked to just absolutely can't stand Politano. Uh, but nonetheless, he gets on the score sheet. Uh, Crotone 4, Benevento 1. This one surprised me. I actually like Benevento in this game. I thought it was set up for him, but then people in Zaghi didn't want to play his best player from the start, Caprati. Uh, and then, you know, that, what is it? Play your best goddamn players when they're fit. Seriously, what are you doing? Oh well, we're gonna put him in. Thirty minutes left in the game. You're you, you've already you're already three nil down. What are you gonna do? Four nil down. <laughs> you're gonna put him on. Gianluca Caprati has been Benevento's best player, and it's not even close. And you don't start him in a game like this where you can use the three points. I agree with uh, you. Yeah. When it comes to a team like Benevento, like the mid table teams that don't have other competitions to play. What are you saving them for? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, you're saving him for Champions League. What? If you if you're a top seven team, depending on what your schedule is like, yeah, I agree. You you, you there's gonna be circumstances, but when it comes to the the bottom half, there's no excuse. You, you buy these players to make your team better, not to sit on the bench to make your team worse. It's, he came in. When did he finally come in? He he came on as a sub. No, I'm sorry. Did he come on as a sub? Yeah, he came on as a sub in the 40th minute after Roberto Insigne got hurt. So he didn't start him. So he they, he brought him in when they were two 0 down. I mean, this is the guy that's. I mean, when I watch him play for Benevento, this is the guy that's creating the chances, racking up the crosses, racking up the. How do you not play him? I mean, just this is where people in Sagi, people just you know, okay, great steady B manager, but when he comes to the top flight, he overthinks it. Um, Glick own goal, two goals from Simi. Milos Village with a goal of the week candidate. I don't know if you guys saw that one. It was a curler. It was pretty. No. Um, Iago Falke with a consolation for uh, Benevento uh, to make it 4-1. Sassuolo 1, Parma 1. Welcome back, uh, Diversa. Seems to have Parma playing a lot tighter, even in the defeat to Lazio. Yes. Uh, far more organized and, 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 you know, didn't look like Liberani's Parma anymore that were just – Never should have been sacked in the first place. Never should have been sacked in the first place. Yeah, and I think that – I think he's going to get Parma back on the upswing and get Parma. Parma's going to survive because of this move. Yeah. Um, Kuchka scoring uh, to put them ahead, and then it was a Juricic penalty in the 94th minute um, to give Sassuolo the win. Uh, you know, Sassuolo had 61% possession, 16. I mean, they did everything they possibly could to get the three points here. But this is the difference between what Diaversa does tactically and then what uh, – Liberani does tactically. Speaking of what guys do tactically, Atalanta nil, Genoa nil. And if you have watched Serie A long enough, um, 
this this should surprise you, but it also shouldn't because Genoa under Davide Balladini, this is what you're going to get. They're going to let you have the ball. They're going to let you have it for very long periods of time. They're going to wait for you to fuck up, and then they're going to try to go and score. That's Genoa under Davide Balladini, and that's what they're going to do to get out of the mess that they're in. It works. Um, and Atalanta did everything possible to try to win. I mean, well, they didn't really didn't. They had 64% possession. They took 18 shots, only two on target. So Atalanta just a little bit off their game, probably frustrated by what was in front of them. I want to, I want to give you um, some praise here because you called me all – not called me all. You, you tweeted to me when they played Lazio, and I was so frustrated, and you're like, this is what you're going to get. Yep. And I was watching the game, this one, and – the second half, they, they really sat back and they really defended for the tie. But I thought in the first half, they could have won the game and and really taken two, three goals against them. Um, they weren't able to finish their chances, but it was a side where Genoa, we didn't see prior to Balladini coming in. But I, I thought that at times Atalanta may have been a little bit fortunate even escaping with the draw because they really didn't attack the final third as much as they normally do. And, that, and that's the thing with Atalanta, I find, where they 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 come on and they come off. And that's why I don't think they're they're a scudetto contender where everybody says this team can fly the height and, and go for uh for first place. That's the problem with Atalanta is they they really like to they, they go nuts and go three games straight, scoring five goals, five goals, six goals, and then you go and disappear three straight games and you say, where's yeah. the scoring? That That's – as much as, as Genoa is has shown to be a very defensive team, a team like Atalanta who can score goals at any time and crack open defenses, to me – I don't think they're that type of team sometimes. That, that's what I, I view them as. And and I want to give you that shout-out about Genoa because that's what I've seen in the last four or five games since he's taken over where they're just so hard to break down. Even against – I think their, their prior game was against Bologna, if I'm not mistaken, as well, where they they won that game. If I, correct me if I'm wrong on that one. I think so. If if Grifone is an Italian for shithouse, it at least should be as long as Balladini's manager, right? So – um, and I actually joked about Genoa's lineup when I saw this, and I said, "Oh, Genoa's dusted off Kevin Strootman," and then Kevin Strootman actually played really well. He did. <laughs> You're right. He actually did play really well. He, I'll take the L on that. I'll take the L on that. <laughs> believe it or not, he couldn't last more than 50 minutes. But uh, in, is that all he lasted? How many minutes? 50, 56. He got 56. Uh, You're, yeah. you give him give him credit. <laughs> he 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 did really well in the first half. He was. He almost he created a few chances. So, yeah, could yeah, be good. Another one, of those, another one of those sneaky pickups. So, I think that's it for all the games. Did I get through all of them? I did. Um, I don't know. You got me on. Oh yeah, wait, yeah, there, yeah, yeah, my team. Okay, uh, two 0 to the Rosaneri and Ibrahimovic double a penalty in the fifth minute, and then fifty uh, second minute after being played in by uh, Calabria, beautiful diagonal ball by Calabria. Boy, there's some really good assists this weekend. Um. And then uh, Alexis Salamacher's – and then this is another dumb thing. And a lot of this was because I played the uh, interleague slate on DraftKings. And I finished 11th. I actually did pretty good um, because it was the, the Milan game and the Arsenal game at the same time. So, But I had Halga in my lineup because he was cheap. 
and he was finally starting to. I mean, the I mean, Helga was awful in the first half. I mean, just and I and mm-hmm. and I made the comment on Twitter, and I said this: he looks like a player that is thinking way too hard about what he should do with the ball, and just instead of simplifying it and just doing what's natural. And I think he was starting to figure it out in the second half. He played an Ebra and gave him a pretty nice chance. Um, and we're starting to get a bit, but, but Pioli wants to run out Alexis Salamakers, but this is the, I mean, and I love Pioli and I'm, I'm usually never going to second guess him, but you want to give him a run out because he's been injured. That's fine. But run him out. He's a young player. Run him out where you play him naturally on the right, not on the left. Okay. And, you know, maybe from a role standpoint, it's the same. And, and Miguel is in the house. He could probably, he could probably you know, agree with this or disagree with this from a role standpoint, it might be the same, but for a young player who's been used to playing in this setup on the right-hand side all this time, now he's like, Oh, give me 30 minutes on the left when he's never been there in a match before and he's getting overrun and he's pulling people back and, and that sort of thing. And it just, you know, and he, and he had a young player moment, you know, on the second yellow didn't probably didn't realize he was on a yellow pulled the player gets a second yellow, gets second off and get, get sent off after being on the pitch, what, 12 minutes? I would have rather, with a 2-0 lead, I would have rather let, and I had selfish, yeah, yeah, not sure why Pioli played him on the left either. Thanks, Miguel. Um, I, I made the comment on Twitter after this. I said, Halga getting 30 more minutes and getting the full 90 would have been a lot, done a lot more for his confidence than just trying to jam in Salamakers out of position and getting him into trouble, and now you don't have him for the Atalanta game this weekend. So, but you know that was the one dark cloud over a a, a performance for Milan that was professional. Um, it wasn't overwhelming or brilliant. I thought Diaz was decent. Um, you know, I thought you know Calabria has been in amazing form of late, um, and I think we would be talking about Calabria a lot more if it not be for the performances that Hakimi has been putting in for Inter, uh, as far as that as far as that right-sided defender, as far as the best right-side defender in the league. Um, you know, and then, you know, you also got Lazzotti that's in that conversation. It's, you know, even more of a wing back, but certainly, you know, he's in that conversation too. But um, Milan win, Ibra's back. Um, Alex, as the crosstown rival, you know, Milan having Ibrahimovic back and slowly starting to get these guys, you know, get these guys back. I mean, they were winning without him and now they've got him back as a title rival. How concerned are you seeing Milan strengthening? And then we'll get into the transfers here, reinforcing and getting deeper at the same time. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm worried and I'm, I'm very impressed because people can say all they want to about, how young Milan are or at what point should they regress to the mean? Um, you know, they, they, they've been dominant now for a calendar year. It just happens to be half of one season than half of another. So, you know, being dominant for that calendar year hasn't resulted in any, in any trophies yet, but it's not like, it's not like I can look at it and say that the form that they're in is a blip on the radar. Cause it's been going on since, you know, post lockdown, you know, going back to, you know, two thirds of the way through last season. So I'm really impressed by it. And, you know, it was not only Pioli coming in last season, but it was really, to me, Ibra was the one who made the big difference. And, and I think that the impact he makes on that club is not only on the pitch and scoring, 
Uh, I think he's revolutionized the dressing room as well. Like I, I really think yeah. he's changed the mentality and he's had an impact on you. Know, I know Milan are on the one hand, they're the youngest team in Serie A, although maybe Mandzukic might have brought the average age up a little bit. <laughs> they may not still by be about a, by about a month. <laughs> he brought it up a bit, but but no, it's certainly and also with how how many uh, and and a lot of teams. It's not just Milan, of course, who have had to rotate a lot due to COVID-19 and, and injuries and all that. A lot of teams have dealt with it, but they've dealt with it better than most because they're still grinding out results even when they're having to rotate their squad uh, as much as they do. But in, in having to give so many different players opportunities in different spots, uh, I, I think that's going to be really helpful uh, to deepen your squad moving forward. So I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed. And then if you want to get into the Champions League stuff – or sorry, into the transfer stuff, I should say, it, it's been uh, – Outside of Milan, it's been really boring, right? I mean, no, no, nobody's really doing anything. And and Milan, you know, brings in in three players. You know, I, I like uh, I like the Mete move. I, I rate him, but uh, I absolutely rate Mario Mandzukic. You know, I know he hasn't been you know playing uh, relevant football in quite some time, but I think that he's a a free transfer. I thought more teams should have been looking after because the the the, the guy the guy is uh, he's clutch. He can be a goal scoring machine. But do you worry a little bit about wearing the number nine? Because that's the curse number with Milan. If you could have picked another I, number. I made that comment and I said, I, I, why are you picking the number nine, man? Didn't, didn't anybody didn't anybody talk you talk to you about this? So <laughs> I yeah, it Leal has 17. So I think that that's probably why he had to get a different number. Mm. Jerry, from what you're seeing about Milan, I mean, you you every time we've had you on, or every time I've been on your podcast, Milan or shit, Milan or this, Milan or that. You changing your tune at all? <laughs> oh man, I if there's one thing I I I have been confident in was the signing of Pioli, and I know a lot of people were shitting on him from the beginning. I don't like crapping on any manager. I don't care who they are. Well, not who they are, but a guy like Pioli who has a track record and. Learned a lot, he said, from Lazio and how he regret how his time ended and used that as a learning experience comes to, to Milan with a difficult task and look what he's created now. I, I kind of compare it to Inzaghi where he's kind of created a, a, a family-like team here where they fight for each other and you see that in games. And I'm starting to become more of a believer that Milan is going to hang around at least in the top four for sure. That's There's no conversation of that. I think that the, the gap difference is there. It would have to take some catastrophe for for Milan to drop off. And, and if I'm Atalanta, you better be focused not only tomorrow, but don't don't forget the Saturday. Even if you're 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 missing Salamaker, and I don't know who else is missing from Elon personally. It, normally, I would be concerned that oh my god, Milan is missing six seven guys. But the difference is that Pioli is not an idiot and is not going to play people out of position. He'll come with a game plan with what is available, and he will make it difficult. He did it against Lazio when he was missing what his whole midfield and still figure it out how to get it done. Um, I, 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 there's so many games this year where you think that they're done, but they're not. And, yeah. and the signing of Manzukic is brilliant because now Leal can play on the wing and you don't have to use him as a number nine. Cause I kind of feel like he, he's kind of struggled in that role. Mm -hmm. 
And that's that's just me how I, I look at it personally. But you got Zlatan, who doesn't have to play every single game now, and you can have Mandzukic backing him up. And the biggest concern was who's going to back up Ibrahimovic? Well, you got Mandzukic now. And just because he, I looked at his stats, he played, what, five games last season? He hasn't played regularly. That's not a concern for me either. This is not a guy who just came off the boat and starting to play for the first time in his career. A lot of experience. He's got some mileage left in his legs. He's no rookie, understands the league. He'll, he will come into the league and, and adapt right away just like uh, Zlatan did. And where people question, well, Zlatan's too old. He's 39 years old. He can't do it. I think age is just a number. If a player can keep themselves in form and, and keep them conditioned like that guy does, where he's taking off his shirt and you got that freaking six-pack and a freaking massive tattoo on your back, uh, uh, I don't know what doesn't scare you, man. Because uh, And I have a question for you guys. That that foul yesterday, and, this is, I want, I, and I want people who are watching to answer me too. Did you think that was a fair foul or was a questionable foul? I, I'm just curious because I I, I feel like that could have gone both ways. Which one? Uh, the one that the one that was a penalty? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's a penalty. It was a penalty. Yeah. Okay. It was a penalty. Here's uh he, he, and, and this this is where uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna piss off uh, I'm sure some Milanisti and they're gonna look at me like oh he here's the Inter guy rattling his mouth. <laughs> um, it, it was a penalty. And honestly, I, I think that uh, something that really does annoy me about Calcio Twitter, and I'll sympathize with Milan Isti on this, anytime Milan gets a penalty, you have people who support other clubs jumping all over it, another penalty, another penalty. Uh, the penalties that they're getting for the most part, maybe I've seen a couple questionable ones, but for the most part, the penalties Milan are getting are fair and correct. My complaint is... I, I feel like there's not enough fair and correct calls going to some other clubs. Like that's where I, and, and I'm not even saying that this is a Milan issue. I'm saying it's a consistency issue, whether it be bad luck for some other teams, because I'm, I'm being certain situations where I feel like these games are getting officiated properly and other games aren't getting officiated properly. And, and a lot of it, I mean, some of it has to do with it's, 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 it, you know, Milan, with the way they're set up and playing, we talk about some of these other teams. We talk about, you know, Inter and Roma, who are much more comfortable on the counter. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so they're they're comfortable in environments where they don't have as much possession. If you don't have as much possession, you're not in the opponent's final third. You know, you're not in the opponent's third of the pitch for, for much of the game. Okay. You know, where Milan are very, very comfortable having the ball, and they're very comfortable camping out in your third of the field. Um, and as a result of doing that, and because they're, they're in there so often, there's probably more of an exposure and more of a chance for penalties to happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and you, you even hear the commentators, you know, who don't have a bias that say, look, there's, there's really, none of these penalties are dubious. I mean, there was the, the one that I can recall is the one they got against Roma. That kind of was a makeup call for the one that Roma got against them. You know, but other than that, everything else has looked like, yeah, you could call it. Are there, there, there might be three or four in there that certain crews and VARs probably wouldn't have called it, but this crew did. And that you, but you're going to have that happen everywhere else, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's, it's in, it's in how, it's in how Milan play, you know? And if they're, if they're 
in your final third so much, and if they're in your 18-yard area so much, then there's going to be a higher likelihood of, of penalties happening and fouls happening. So, you know, I, I mean, that's, that's I how I, I say it from my point of view. So, I no, mean, but they, they signed Maite, who we all we, – we all I mean, the, the appearances for Torino, he looked the part. He doesn't have to be Kessie. He just has to be serviceable in this team. You got Menzukic and, and, and the possibility of uh, uh, Tomori arriving from Chelsea who can't can't get a game with Chelsea because they've got Tiago Silva, they've got Rudiger, they've got uh, Zuma, okay? Christensen pops in from time to time, so that freezes him out. So you get the depth at center back with a young up, you know, a young promising player that, you know, Tomori doesn't, Jerry, and you are, you're a Chelsea fan. Tomori doesn't suck all of a sudden because he can't get a game with Chelsea. You know, Tomori's not getting a game with Chelsea because they because of the center backs they have. No, you're right. I haven't watched as much Chelsea this season, but I, I will agree with that point where he's not getting enough playing time and they signed additional center backs this season. Uh, they brought in um, Tiago Silva. Tiago Silva and – they also brought in uh, the guy from uh, Leicester, uh, Ben Chilwell, but I know yep. that probably doesn't affect him, but still, it's, a, it's an additional player that plays in the back three, so it doesn't really help his cause. So there there hasn't been enough playing time. He doesn't suck, but he could be a liability at times when I, what I saw from him. He's still young. He still needs to uh, adapt, but again, that 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 seems like a cliche now because uh, we said that many times with Milan and uh, that hasn't been a, an issue. So I think he'd be a good addition for for Milan if he does arrive. That's someone who can really bolster your back end like big time. Let's address one last thing, okay? A couple more things that we've talked about with the transfers because I mean I think anything else that you're going to see right now. I mean, as far as names that people know, Kevin Strootman is at Genoa, which we talked about. Uh, Paul Lirola left Fiorentina. He's over at Marseille. Um, I would like to say that Marseille rescued him. By the way, I, and I'll say it again, Comiso, I thought Comiso was supposed to make Fiorentina better. Uh, you went to Marseille? Yeah, Paul Lirola mm -hmm. went to Marseille. Yeah. Say that again? Uh, Marseille, Paul, Paul Lirola. Oh, Paul Anybody who leaves Fiorentina... Becomes a better player. Remember Can't that. get out fast enough. <laughs> uh, nine Galan from Inter to Cagliari, which surprises no one. Um, other than that, Esposito, Alex, uh, goes to Venezia on loan uh, from, from from your team, from Inter. Uh, and after that, there really isn't anything to, to shout about. Leo Duarte, uh, that experiment is over with at Milan. He's he's on loan it with an option, probably going to end up and at Istanbul Basaksa here permanently. And then Ahmad Diallo from Atalanta going to Manchester United. So that's really the activity that's gone on in January. It's been pretty quiet. So let's let's talk about a couple of names here before we get into who won Calcio Twitter. Um, Rodrigo Di Paul uh, and Papu Gomez. Uh, and Alex, I'll start with you. Uh, I I don't think Rodrigo Di Paul is gone in this window. I, I think it's a summer move. Udinese is going to want to stay up. Um, make the case for why Rodrigo de Paul fits at Inter and not Juventus, because those seem to be the two teams that are linked with them as far as Italy's concerned. Um, well, I, I think first of all, I think he's good enough to fit both. I, I think from an Inter standpoint, um, if you're looking for more of an attacking-minded midfielder, I believe that he would fit Conte's system and, of course, Serie A better than what Christian Christian Eriksen does. I think he's more active, he's more energetic, can track back. 
um, can really provide in that link up. Erickson just it, it never really felt like from the onset uh, and I gave him a lot of time and I had a lot of patience with him. But from the onset, it never really felt as though uh, he, he, the urgency or lack thereof that he played with never really felt like it was adapting to City. Uh, whereas Rodrigo de Paul has those qualities where I think he would fit like an absolute glove with Conte's system. And I think there's no question that Conte does want him. So uh, I think he could have an important role to play for this club. Jerry, why would uh, DePaul fit better with Juventus than Inter? He'd be that midfielder finally that can actually be creative and create plays. Like that's the midfielder who Juventus has been missing for so long. Um, at the same time, he's play, they play a three-five-two in Genesis, right? So that would suit perfect with Inter because he's adjusted to that to that formation. He understands so that that's the kind of player that. Conte has been kind of wanting to get, especially how he's always wanted. Uh, I know Sergei Malinkovic-Savage is not kind of identical to DePaul, but it's kind of close as he'll get to that midfielder that he's always been asking for, that he's always wanted, that Lazio has. So that could be a, a sign, a signing where he comes in and, and flourishes under Conte. But I think he, he would thrive more with Juventus. He'd have more more free flow, more authority playing because of the way he plays and, and the ability to, to make his midfielders better. That's something that Juventus has just been missing so long. Um, I don't watch a lot of Udinese, uh, but from what I've seen, when I have seen it, he he needs to go to Juventus because he's the type of player that they're missing. I, I just feel that if he goes to Inter, you you, you have you might run into another problem now. Where you, you got another midfielder coming in, how do you bring him into the system? Who's the odd man out after? So, um, you the first question is how do you get rid of Erickson? And until Erickson's gone, which is not how, but when. And that's a, it's a long. It can even be next season. He might still be with the team because no of he, he's gone by the summer. I, I I think there's no chance in hell he's around next season. Yeah, well, I, I see the Pozzos trying to just stay up this season and yeah. then cash in on DePaul in the summer. I don't think yeah. they want to move him now when they're in the they're in the midst of trying to stay up. Well, here's the thing with with I was looking at his contract and he, even next season he could still be there because his contract doesn't expire until June 30, 2024. Mm. There's a lot of leverage here, so there's no rush to sell him next year. And, and to go back to Erickson, what about Conte is not there next year? Well, what happens then? The new That's manager, point. yeah, like you, you don't know, yeah. right? So, and, and is are they willing to take a loss on Erickson? Is someone willing to spend that much money knowing that he's he may not be that player right now? His value, there's there's so many questions of. How and, and if they're willing to take a loss on him, if if it yeah, is, they're, they're not. I mean, the hope would be um, that if um, if we're pretty much knock on wood out of the pandemic by summer, which is a little bit ambitious to say it at this point, but some of those revenues have recovered. Teams are making moves that they can get him for at least a slight profit. If not, pay the same you paid for him minus the amortization. You made at least a little bit something. Um, I, I wouldn't even um, completely overrule like a loan with obligation to buy if that's what it would be take to get him out. So I think there are different ways that they can move him. I just don't think any of those happen in January. Hmm. Tomorrow, 
funny how there was such a buzz around Papu Gomez and it has just totally died. And I think a lot of it has to do with that. There is no way in hell Atalanta are selling him to a top six club if he stays in Italy. So it kind of pays to my theory that I think he's, uh, if he, if he goes abroad, he goes to Spain. I can see a David Silva scenario with what David Silva has been doing for Real Sociedad. Um, but if he stays in Italy, Sassuolo, are you listening? Figure out how to get him. You're going to sell Boga. Come on, be fun. Keep being fun. Can you imagine Papu, Radi, Caputo, um, Juricic, you know, Triori with Locatelli if he stays? Can you imagine? Um, can you imagine that team? My goodness. My goodness. That would be, that would just be sick. So. I just want him gone so I can hear what he has to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think just see what he has to say. That's it. I don't care where he goes at this point. Where actually, I do care where he goes if it's a top six team. But maybe MLS, maybe the MLS becomes a realistic possibility. Yeah, he, he ruled that out. He doesn't want to leave the country, so it's he's oh, really looking. Yeah, I didn't know that. He doesn't want to leave Italy, and then okay. Atalanta doesn't want to sell him to a top team. So yeah, he's either he's either stuck there or. He's got to play for a lower table team. Mm. So those are uh, the, the the latest uh, transfer conversations that are going on. January, it's been kind of tame. So let's move on to who won Calcio Twitter. Everybody has suffered and listened to us long enough. Let's have uh, let's come up with something funny. Um, all right. So first one on the first one on the board for this week was from our friend Scott Monroe at Scott underscore M U N R O E. Shame, Cagliari isn't at home. You would have seen Cagata in the top left-hand corner of the screen. This was from the Coppa Italia match between Atalanta and Cagliari. Cagata is Italian for crap. <laughs> Cagata. So that would have been that would have been nice. Um, uh, official uh, SS Lazio gets a Who Won Calcio Twitter nomination. Uh, Lazio have confessed they mixed up Sporting Braga with Sporting Lisbon on their official financial accounts, listing payments for Pedro Neto. <laughs> so, let's see. What the hell They have to return there? the money? What's that? Do they have to return the money that was sent to them by mistake? <laughs> uh, it could Apparently. be. Apparently, yeah. That blows. Yeah, uh, my thing. Pardon me for the uh, technical difficulties, those of you that are watching my... Uh, um, I think double clicked here. Okay, so all right, so now we've got at Jen Lucas six seventeen. No stranger to the Who on Calcio Twitter. Uh, how it started, how it's going. Uh, Alessandro Florenzi holding up the bonsai tree trophy that Roma has, and uh, then how it's going, being tossed by his teammates at PSG. That is good. The Calcio guys nominated our friend uh, and guest Jerry Mancini uh, <laughs> uh, with uh, a picture of Claudio Latito on two phones, one in each ear. <laughs> so, oh my. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Uncle Sharma at R Sharm ZZ. He's, he's no stranger to uh, Calcio Twitter. Paulo Fonseca in big matches. <laughs> picture of Andre VS Boas. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my! What? Stop that! Get back over here. <laughs> Nobody cares about TJ McBride right now. <laughs> he beat writer for the Denver Nuggets. Oh, there you go. So, somebody that I follow for my degenerate gambling. Uh, 
Alex Dono for a quick second. I thought you turned Bianco Nero. Uh, we started with 16. Several challenges were faced. What uh, was you got to see? The, uh, the, the, there's a picture. The guy, the guy who does that broadcast. If you can <laughs> click on the picture, he he he's my doppelganger. He is my evil Juventino doppelganger. Oh, there we are. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Oh, I was wondering there for a second. Uh, let's see. Okay. Um, Rafa, uh, our friend from uh, far from Vesuvius at Rafa Napoli 83. Uh, the Vicar Man scaring the bejesus out of Bonetti, Johnny Fischelot, AC Milan Michael, and Joe Bacalieri. <laughs> so uh, apparently, this is Rafa. It looks like Rafa it does. over, over yeah. Vesuvius. <laughs> so. Not bad. Let's see. Um, Nick uh, Nicky Bandini, uh, Vidal scoring against his former club Juve while playing for the manager who used to manage him at Juve. Conte will be happy, but to be honest, I still I think this might still qualify as breaking the dick. <laughs> Accompanied by the uh, cock punch uh, here. So uh, let's see. <laughs> uh presidente from uh, milan weekly podcast marcello uh chiming in uh with this picture pirlo talking about the game against inter con le inter giocheremo come se fosse una finale di champions we're going to play inter as if it's a champions league final is <laughs> 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 pirlo not versed on juventus's history in champions league finals he did play in one of them that's so true <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Next, we have at Don Peppino. Uh, uh, and at, at Don, Milanisti, whenever there's a game between Juve and Inter. And uh, let's just enjoy the cartoon, shall we? See if we can get the noise. <laughs> you gotta love it <laughs> alright okay so there, TJ McBride's making another appearance on my feed again on, uh, TJ won couch of Twitter yeah maybe okay <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh boy Uncle Sharma's on the board again uh Vidal talking to Pirlo. We haven't even been paid our wages since September, bro. You got beat by a team of volunteers. Ah. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, at GGDIMI underscore. We got to unwrap this one. Let's see. Uh, that's a penalty. Snowflakes, Milan, Milan Twitter Live. Snowflakes Montreal should get on signing him after that dive. I guess that's a inter uh, that's a Montreal impact thing. Is that what you gather, Jerry? I you know what I I, I would assume <laughs> it's, it's, unless they're talking about the Habs. I don't know. <laughs> talking about the Habs. A different kind of jersey swap. Eintracht captain David Abraham, referee Manuel Grafe. And then I think Switches with the reason the why this got nominated was because of uh, Farino underscore 10 
replying to Sabrina saying, why would a Juve player swap shirts with another Juve player, though? <laughs> good stuff. That's great. Oh, man, that's, that's really good. And uh, I believe this is the last one at, uh, at Rete This Way. Uh, and Sabrina uh, Belmonte also – doggone it. Okay. Uh, Alexis Salamakis versus Callity Skills and Highlights, January 18th, 2021. Grandpa Abe walking in yeah. and then walking out. <laughs> I believe that's the last one. Yes. Oh, nope. One more. Our friend AC Milan Michael, uh, Michael Isi. Castalejo is Spanish for attacks die at my feet. So he's not wrong. It was Suzo, but I guess it's changed to Castalejo now. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, gentlemen, do the honors. Who's, who wins? Well, well, let me give you my nominee. It's very self-serving, but when I thought when Sabrina put out there the uh, the Juventino gentleman who is my doppelganger, I was laughing my ass off with, with that tweet, if we can find it, because uh, people were sending me that nominee throughout the week. Yeah, there, there it is right there. For a quick second, I thought you turned Juventino. <laughs> I don't. I, I. I'll go with this. What do you think, Jerry? Is this the winner? I was. I personally. I, I think it's funny, but I was going to go with Sharma. I, I like his comment. The uh, oh, with the uh, the volunteer. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like it so much. I actually pissed my pants when I actually read that when I saw it. <laughs> I, I give that. To, I, I. I think that's great, man. That is perfect. But, but you know what. I gotta be. I, I'm. I'm. I'm gonna break the tie here, and I'm gonna say I'm gonna go with Uncle Sharma. Uncle Sharma has b- been on the board so much, and I don't think he's won yet. Um, this is this is the winner right here. Uh, so we will go ahead and uh, congrats at our charms. There you are. You won. Who on Kelp Show Twitter this week? All right. Awesome. Uncle Sharma, you are the winner at long last. So congratulations, sir. Yep. So uh at long last, after all of these attempts, you finally on you're finally on with your first win on Who Won Kelp Show Twitter. So <laughs> excellent stuff. And with that, we'll put a bow on this edition of City I Sit Down. I'm going to give my guests a chance to shameless plug. Jerry, starting with you. Yeah, just uh at J Mancini 8 and basically just writing some articles right now for the Laziale and uh, World Football Index and podcasting with Alex here, uh, basically on the cultural connection. That's about it for now. Excellent. Uh, Alex, how about you? Yeah, well, make sure you follow the Calcio Connection on Twitter. It's at CalchoCon Pod. We tweet out all the episodes that Jerry and I do. We usually bust out about two of those per week. You guys can follow me at Alex Dono, Dono spelled D-O-N-N-O. And uh, and if you're you're feeling good, you want to listen to some of the daily shows that I do, they tend to be South Florida focused, but not exclusive. We break into some national stuff. And of course, uh, every now and then we get in, we get joined by Jerry Mancini. We get we get joined by a Frank Ravello to talk uh, some Calcio and other things. So we do mix it up quite a lot. Uh, you can listen to my shows 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern time every single weekday at OnsideRadio.com, the man of the match show on Onside Radio. So, yeah, it's pretty much what I have going on, guys. Thank you. 
Excellent. Uh, you can find me at FTC underscore 21. Richard, you can find him at R underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N. At City I Sit Down, Twitter, Instagram. Find us on Facebook. Uh, we have our own channel on Apple Podcasts. We have our own channel on SoundCloud. You can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever there are podcasts. There is City I Sit Down. Uh, here on the YouTube channel, if this is the first time you like it, subscribe so you get notifications for future videos. Sometimes we put up clips from this podcast. Sometimes we put up the whole, you know, we will we'll always put up the whole damn thing. Uh, if we get some interesting conversations, as there were many uh, in this particular episode, you might find us do some of those in clip form where you can catch those as well. Uh, we're getting into some of that as well. So hashtag who won Calcio Twitter. Funny Calcio tweets. Keep them clean. We don't get terribly, uh, you know, dirty on these. Uh, you know, please send us the nominees so that we can uh, we can uh, send those up. Chat, bravo, great stuff. Great, thank you for being involved. Thank you for contributing. Um, keep on uh, joining us. Uh, Richard and I will be back here next week, eight thirty Eastern time. Uh, we will review after as nineteen match days. We'll be at that midway point of the season. We will review our Squadra Finora, our team of the season so far, as well as our crap on a Cracker 11, the 11 guys that have played and proven they've been crap. Um, so that uh, is what you got to look forward to next week, along with who won Calcio Twitter and everything that took place at match week 19. So um, I want to thank uh, Alex and Jerry. It was a privilege having both of you on. Um, let's do this again really soon. Amen. Love being on. Thank you guys both. All right. We ran late tonight, but when we've got such great calcio minds, it's gonna happen. We all gotta get a we all gotta get a word in edgewise. So um, you know, for Jerry, for Alex, and then uh, obviously for Richard, I'm Frank. Uh, thank you again as always for listening, and as always, make sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao.